Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. Last broadcast for outgoing vicar Daniel Golden. We had our farewell. He preached his last sermon this last Sunday. We got him a couple more days yet, but uh, then he'll be a short timer. Pastor, how soon after he's gone, after the road hits the uh, highway to Fort Wayne, can we, uh, can we do a new intro for our program? As soon as you want to do one, yeah, that'd be oh, fine. Okay, because, uh, you know, I just, I feel dirty every time I hear that, you know, with that secular. <laughs> okay, do you want to you you, you tell a story on how you did that, Vicar, or uh, is, there, is there a story? Y- yeah, it was, uh, it was a song that my daughter had always liked, and the introduction just had a good introduction music, so that, uh, that intro music uh, was actually a karaoke version without the words that I purchased, and took a bunch of your guys's word and words from this show edited out a bunch of filler words to try to condense it down to that 30 seconds whatever it is and threw in my own um voice at the end and there you have it okay well we'll have lots of your voice on the radio for years to come because of certain things that you recorded hopefully uh that won't be the only one that we hear well into the future i'd I'd rather have baby shark in the background than that but that's just my personal choice um we uh we also have he's uh he's he's not mic'd up yet we're not going to let him talk but we have our our new vicar uh, Timothy Steele II, otherwise known as New Vicar, that uh, is here with us. Uh, he sat in last week, too, and next week you'll get to hear his voice uh, if he makes it a whole week. Uh, so, you know, we, you got that. That's big if. Yeah, that's well, that's with all the vicars. So I was, uh, I was listening to last year's program, and it was r- this time of the year, and it was Vicar Bader's last one, and uh, we let – uh, almost Vicar Golden say like three words or something like that. So we, we've learned from that mistake. Yeah. And uh, now it's been a great year. We're very, very thankful for the Vicarage program here at Good Shepherd. We wish Vicar Golden and his family uh, only the best as they move forward. And we look forward to God using him boldly and mightily in his kingdom. All right. Today we're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. As uh, Pastor Moline likes to joke, this is also known as Preach on the Epistle Sunday. Uh, when you hear the gospel reading, you'll know this is, this is a, uh, a challenging reading. It is an often misunderstood reading. I've often wondered how, you know, we have 52 gospel readings for the Sundays and, you know, maybe another 15 for the high festivals. You throw that in there. Uh, how this made the top 50 is uh, uh, sometimes baffling to me. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason. And it's that reason that we want to focus on today. Vicar, take it away. Luke 16, 1 to 13. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, 
for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, you cannot serve God and money. Uh, technically, that is, you cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, money certainly is mammon, but it means more than that as well. This, uh, this text, Luke 16, 1 to 9, is the traditional text. Um, I can't imagine getting a complete picture of what's going on in this text without the addition of those four verses at the end. And that's why we insist on that as we, as we read these. Uh, Luke 16, 10 to 13, kind of the optional additional reading. We almost always do those. But for this, uh, this particular reading, it is uh, crucial, absolutely crucial. So um, Jesus is telling a parable. Pastor, um, what words of caution do we need to have whenever we start examining a parable with regard to the particular details of the parable? Well, a um, couple things. First off, when we look at a parable, we don't want to take and ram it in so everything has an exact comparison and that uh, we don't deviate from that. It's it's a story to bring across an idea and a picture of something to help us understand. It's not a one-for-one one comparison. Um, we also need to, you know, be very careful in understanding what the point and the thrust is of the parable so that um, we can understand what Jesus is trying to teach us. And I'd say, too, um, this is one of those ones that it doesn't say that specifically it's a parable. It sure sounds like one. It's at least a story, a worldly story. The definition of parable oftentimes is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This one uh, might be 
just more earthly on its uh, particular uh, bent. So to, to put it in the, the general term of what parable means might be just a little bit of a stretch in that regard. When you look at the other readings that are selected for this Sunday, the ninth Sunday after Trinity, remember the gospel reading is chosen first, then the Old Testament reading is chosen to um, I don't want to support or uh, supplement or whatever, but to carry that same theme, the epistle reading is a practical application. The introit is constructed to lay the foundation for all of the readings. And if you look at the readings in context, what the creators of the lectionary, that's the series of readings, what the creators of the lectionary want us to draw from this parable is the theme of mercy. God is merciful in the same way that the um, uh, master is merciful to the dishonest steward. Uh, thoughts on that? I... I don't. I don't know about that. Um, well, I don't know about it either. That's why. I br- that's why I asked you the question. I, I think. I think Jesus tells us very clearly what the the point of this particular story is. Um, when he says you cannot serve God and money, uh, when he says uh, the people of this world are more shrewd than the children of light, um, things like that. He's telling us that um, the stuff of this world, the things we have, um, we shouldn't fear, love, and trust in those things above God, but rather we can use those things properly the way that God desires us to use them to care for our neighbor uh, and perhaps even to support the work of the church and the preaching of the gospel so that more people come to the true faith and understand it. And I think that's what's the drive force of this particular gospel lesson, um, you know, independently of whether the uh, Old Testament and the epistle do the things that you said. Okay. Well, uh, you know, and this is preached in a lot of ways, and uh, some of the ways are pretty good, and some of the ways are pretty bad, and most of them are somewhere in between. <laughs> and I would think that many of the sermons that uh, will be preached on this particular Sunday will be around that theme of mercy. And so that's why we need to, we need to take a good hard look at what is actually being gone, going on here. Uh, Vicar, give us the, the grammar details, and I'm not talking about the Greek grammar here, but just give us the bare bones details of who the players are in this particular parable. You got an employee and an employer, very simply put. And the employee gets fired and resorts to his own wily ways to keep his job. Okay, so you were you were you know kind of a big wig at Walmart before you uh, went to the seminary. So let's imagine that you got caught cooking the books, and you get a phone call that says. Um, uh, Daniel Golden, uh, your services are no longer needed. Uh, turn in your keys, turn the books, keys. turn in everything. And then on the way to Walmart, you start calling up the Walmart suppliers. And you start saying, uh, hey, um, how, much, how much do you owe us for that last shipment of uh, Fruity Pebbles? And uh, they tell you uh, $10,000. He goes, ah, make it five. 
and then you call up another supplier and you say, uh, you know, how much how much uh, do you owe us for that last uh, shipment, uh, that last truckload of toilet paper you picked up? Oh, twenty thousand. Oh, make it ten. Because as soon as you get canned, you're going to go to the Fruity Pebbles company and the toilet paper company, and you're going to want a job. job. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now, all right, Pastor. Humanly speaking, is that an is that analogy that I just laid out with Vicar? Is that accurate with regard to the parable? It's. I mean, is it's it? the general idea. Uh, there's. It's more complicated, I think, um, in, in the the ancient business world, obviously. Um, There's an accusation against the man that he's done something wrong in cooking the books, but it's never said one way or the other if he has prior to the accusation being made. He definitely does after that when he's going to be removed. Um, Otherwise, a lot of that stuff is the same, and it is a very shrewd move on his part, as Jesus says, because he is taking the steps necessary to take care of himself in in the future by bribing these other folks in that way and so uh in in that regard yes it is similar but i I think there's more complications in the way the ancient world worked well of course and you know to take an example from the year 2020 and to take it you know two thousand years back you know it's got going to be a complete apples to apples just trying to get something that the the people listening might be able to get a little bit of a grasp and what shrewdness we're talking about here This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. We'll continue our look at Luke 16 when we come back from our break. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. I leave my cares as Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Uh, we've got a guest appearance also with uh, new Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. We are parking the car at Luke 16, 1 to 13. The parable of the dishonest steward is normally what it is uh, referred to. And in our, we introduced it. We talked about some of the difficulties with this reading. And now we want to talk about, you know, some of the positive things with this reading. What is Jesus teaching us in this parable? Um, how are we to understand it? And for those pastors that are listening, how might you preach it? Um, now, for me, Pastor, we, we didn't mention this in our first segment, but for me, the uh, the, the key to preaching this or to understanding this uh, parable and and you know we talked about the basics in our first one you know we've got the we've got the manager he's getting fired he's got to turn in the books before he turns in the books and before he's fired he makes some side deals um, with uh, some folks and uh, costs the master money but it's it's a good deal for him because now maybe he's got a place where he can go when he has nothing and the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness 
For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. That's verse 8. I think that's a key uh, verse here. But for me, it's verse 9. Jesus says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. To me, those three words, when it fails, are the key to understanding this text. Because you can gather around yourself all the mammon you want. You can gather around yourself all the uh, false gods, false idols. Not only money, but stuff. That's how I do uh, uh, mammon. And this stuff will ultimately let you down. Yeah. And when you are at rock bottom... And everything that you have clung to has proven to be a false idol. Then, and then only, does the gospel make sense. It, when you have nothing, the gospel gives you everything. Forgiveness, life, and salvation. And so for me, that is a key to this particular text. I'd love to hear your reaction to that, that uh, understanding. Well, I, I think that's exactly Jesus' teaching that your worldly mammon will fail. And we see all sorts of examples of that, right? With, you know, um, Steve Jobs, right? Uh, Operator of Apple, inventor of the Apple computer, billionaire. Uh, But what happened? Cancer, died, right? Uh, What good did all that stuff do him now? He's still the same place everybody's going. Kobe Bryant, a very successful basketball player, made tons of money, um... And what happened? Uh, helicopter accident. Your your worldly mammon will fail you, uh, even even if it you know take Eli Wallach, you know a famous actor, you know in the Good, the Bad, the Ugly, The Godfather, uh, lots of other movies, um, tons of money, but he still died of old age. You know, um, Olivia, not very long. Olivia ago. De Havilland <laughs> just this last week, uh, one of the stars in Gone with the Wind. Um, much revered, much loved actress uh, died last week at age 104. You heard right. me right, 104. She lived a long, long, long time, but she still died. Regis Philbin uh, a couple days ago. So the point is, yes, it will run out. Um, and the question is, what, what have you done then uh, with the stuff God has given you? Um, where is, where's your love been shown and and displayed and christians we don't love this world because the world kind of sucks <laughs> uh, rather uh, we love the one who has saved us from this world and promised us eternal life and so as we live our lives as christians we ought to act shrewdly with the things god gives uh, in such a way as to support what we actually truly love which is god and his word and i think that's a key aspect of what this is teaching here Okay, now we're not talking about renouncing the things no. of this world. In fact, Luther would preach against it on this very text. We're, we're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, finding, finding some place where you can uh, go off the grid. You know, we've got a lot of people talking about that now, you know, with the turmoil going on. We've got the coronavirus. We've got the protests. We've got the upcoming 
uh, presidential election. I'm moving to Idaho. I'm going off the grid. You know, I'm moving to Poland, the only place where there's true freedom. These are the kind of things you hear people saying. I even had somebody tell me one time, I'm going to quit my job and go to truck driver school just to get away from all the problems. You know, um, that is not a God-pleasing option to run away. Vickers uh, last sermon, don't quit, don't quit, don't you dare quit. We are not talking about that kind of renouncing of the things of this world or renouncing your own particular lifestyle. But as Jesus teaches us in the uh, upper room discourse, and it's not a direct quote, but it's a paraphrase and it's accurate. Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. Pastor, how do we do that? How are Christians in the world, but not of the world? Well, we're shrewd, right? So we're not going to do what, you know, like, for example, St. Elizabeth of Thuringia and take all of our riches and give them away and then die in poverty. Rather, God blesses us all with things, and we use those things to... uh, take care of our body and souls and all the things we have to our family members. But we also, if we don't love that stuff, we're then able to take care of other things that God provides us to uh, help with as well, the people around us in need, um, the the church, the preaching of the gospel, things like that, while we still take care of our family and friends. Um, and to not be so in love with the stuff we have that if it disappears and is gone, that we're crushed and heartbroken. You remember several years ago uh, when the Japanese uh, Nikkei stock market collapsed, there were businessmen jumping off cliffs and things because they were so heartbroken. So we're in the world. Uh, We operate in the world. We deal shrewdly um, with people around us just like the people of the world do. But we also are not in love with the stuff because we're in love with the world that is to come, the promise that is ahead of us, the hope of Christ and the resurrection that we are awaiting. And so we're trying to walk very carefully down that line, and it's easier uh, to say, even as I stumble about, than it actually is to do. Okay, so Pastor, the the big question and sometimes criticism of this text, it appears that Jesus is praising dishonesty. Respond to that. Well, uh, that is the assumption then that the master who commends the dishonest manager uh, is God. And I don't think that he is. I think he's giving a worldly example. This is, you know, uh, cutthroat business maneuvering. And uh, he says, that was a good business move that you just did to save yourself, you know. Uh, But it's all business. Jesus is saying, this is the way the world works. You live in the world. You need to operate a certain way, but you still care for the people that are around you, and you still act as a Christian in that regard. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, there Many times already in these first two segments, you've used the word shrewd, shrewdly. This is not a common word in our vernacular. So when you are using the word shrewd, what does that word mean? And how should a Christian practice shrewdness? Well, um, the word shrewd, the, I guess the Merriam-Webster definition would be marked by clever discerning, awareness, and hard-headed acumen. Uh, in other words, um, uh, 
you know the way things work and you deal accordingly to the way things work. Maybe a good definition of shrewd would be to watch the Godfather movies and watch the way that Michael Corleone works in those movies. He knows the way people think and the way that they work, and he's always a step ahead of them in his operations and getting things accomplished. I'm not saying we should, you know, kill people and cut off horses' heads and put them in people's sheets, things like that. But uh, in that movie, Michael Corleone is very shrewd. He understands things and he's operating accordingly. We ought to be aware that that's the way the world works as well. And we ought to be shrewd, hard-headed with our acumen and dealing with people around us. Uh, Not unkind, not rude, not mean, but we need to understand that this is a cutthroat world that wants to kill us. And as Christians navigate these uh, often uh, difficult waters of this sinful, cutthroat world, uh, we are to rise above the fray. We are to still follow the Ten Commandments. Uh, It's not like God is giving us a pass to sin, uh, a hall pass uh, for certain circumstances. Is that right? Right. Think of St. Paul in the city of Philippi. He is arrested and he is uh, beaten Um, and then after they beat him, they put him in prison. Uh, that night the prison doors are opened and he stays there instead. The, um, the soldier who's in charge of the prison runs to the prison and sees the doors are open and he's ready to kill himself because his life, uh, is already forfeit if the prisoners are gone. And Paul says, no, we're still here. And then, uh, the next day the city leaders get out there and they say, we need you to leave Paul and we need you to do it quietly right now. And now he's shrewd. And he says, no, I'm a Roman citizen, and you beat me without a trial. You treated me unfairly. The rules of the law of the Roman Empire are this and this and this, and you didn't operate by those. I need a public apology, and I need you to, um, to make this right. That's being shrewd. Paul acted as a Christian, but he also dealt shrewdly uh, with the way the world works. Well, that, that opens up so many connections with things that are going on in the world today with regard to churches not being treated the same as casinos in Nevada. Um, Unable um, to sing in California. Uh, yeah, churches that aren't able to sing, mask mandates that may or may not be a good thing. Uh, so many applications there, but I'm not going to go down that path. Vicar, in... Um, Verse 11 of Luke 16. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? When Jesus is talking about true riches, what's he talking about? Well, that is the opposite of unrighteous wealth, and that is the righteous wealth given to us, uh, paid for us by the blood of Christ on the cross that will end in eternal life. Uh, it goes on forever that we'll be able to spend eternity with him. That's a, that's a wealth with no end. He saved us, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. That is the true wealth. That is the true riches. And quite frankly, nothing or no one can take that away from a child of God. That is God's gift. It is for you, and it is forever. Uh, Keep that in mind as you hear these words this upcoming Sunday. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we'll look at our Old Testament reading, 2 Samuel 22, 26 to 34. Don't change that dial.
are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, Vicar Golden's swan song with us here at Good Shepherd. We have uh, we are privileged to serve the saints here, and it's been a great privilege to have Vicar Golden with us these last 12 months. You can join us to hear these readings uh, in the divine service, the readings preached on. We gather every Sunday at 8 and 10.30 with a family Bible study for all ages in between. We are located at 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. We also worship on Wednesday evenings year-round at 6.30. Choir will be picking up again on Wednesday, August 12, 2020, and so we're excited about that. Um, you can also listen to us. Any worship service that we have is broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln. Listen on the uh, church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, or the radio website, thecross957.org, and there you'll find our radio archives and uh, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful programming for you to um, utilize your time in a good and God-pleasing way. Our Old Testament reading for the ninth Sunday after Trinity is a snippet from a huge, huge song uh, that King David uh, composed at the end of his life. We're, we're most familiar with the Psalms of King David, but here in Second uh, Samuel 22, we have a 50-verse song, and we're just going to get like a tiny, tiny little snippet of that. Second Samuel 22, 26 to 34. Vicar? With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. There you have it, the Old Testament reading for Trinity 9, 2 Samuel 22, 26 to 34. Pastor, can you give us a little bit of a context of this particular song? I think many of our English translations will say something like a song of deliverance or David's song of deliverance. A 2 Samuel 22 may not be as familiar with many people. 2 Samuel 23, the last words of David, probably are much more familiar 
Uh, Luther has half a volume in Luther's works on the last words of David. Um, what is this song of deliverance thing in Second Samuel 22? Well, <clears throat> the song of deliverance, it is towards the end of David's life, and he is kind of reflecting um, on the events that have happened in his life and the unlikeliness of everything. So think about David when he began his life. What signs are there that he's going to become the king? Uh, he's the youngest, youngest in the family. Son. He's relegated to taking care of the sheep. Yep. And being the sandwich bearer for his older, older older soldier brothers. There you go. And so that's exactly the kind of guy you expect to become king, right? Not just king, but king par excellence. Most famous king that's ever lived. Most famous king in the entire world ever, right? Everybody knows King David. It's, it's an odd thing that God has done for David. Uh, it's an odd thing in the sense that David begins his rise by killing a giant with a stone and a sling and cutting off his head. He's not even big enough to wear the armor that the soldiers were wearing. It's too heavy for him, but he still does that and then leads the people of Israel into a, uh, a rout of the Philistines. He uh, is delivered by God and led through his life to become king. Um, he is anointed. He dodges the spears of Saul. He uh, plays the harp uh, to uh, calm Saul's demons. He is in the cave when Saul goes to use the bathroom, and he gets close enough to Saul doing so that he cuts off a part of his robe and then shows Saul that and is still kept alive and not killed. Uh, all these events in David's life, God has worked to bring him up to become the king. And it's not just for the sake of David being the king himself, but when we're talking about David, God's main concern ultimately is what comes after David, through David, what comes later in Jesus Christ. And so... David's son, yet David's Lord. Right. David is delivered through the things God has done in his life, not by his own actions, but rather because God has brought him into this position to prepare the way for the one who comes after him, who is Jesus, who will die on the cross and rise from the dead so that David can be saved the same way that we can be saved. And so this song bridges that gap from David being lowly nobody to becoming king for the sake of Jesus, who is the ultimate king. And as he recounts these uh, historical details in his life, this is dripping with praise to the one true God who had been so gracious, loving, merciful, kind, compassionate, all these wonderful things that are recounted in this chapter to him, um, and we'll use Divine Service 3 talk, a poor, miserable sinner. Right. Um, Vicar, with mercy, you show yourself to be merciful. Uh, can you give us a, a short definition of mercy? Yeah, mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is in opposition to grace, getting what you don't deserve. Okay, yeah, and I don't know if it's in opposition, but it's certainly two sides to the same coin. Yes. Um, and uh, with a blameless man, you show yourself blameless. When, when we're talking about somebody who's a blameless man, what, what, what is that? What does that mean to be blameless? To be without sin, which, you know, there's, there's no man that existed on earth except for one. So 
uh, to be blameless, we're talking about God's call, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy, um, be perfect as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. So we're, we're talking about God showing mercy to those who are already merciful, God being blameless to those who are blameless, God dealing purely with those who are purified. Uh, Pastor, a quick glance of this, a surface glance of this, makes it look like uh, David is talking about some kind of works righteousness or something like that. Uh, How is that not the case here? It's not. um, In this sense, uh, first off, the person that that is merciful the person that is blameless the person who is pure is again primarily not us and we we know this david is saying these words right yes uh take david for example david was not perfect in fact uh he looked over the the roof of his house at the neighbor lady and thought she was hot brought her in they had an affair one night stand she got pregnant so he killed her husband uh and then took her into uh his own house as not wife number one but uh, a multiple wife situation that's not a good thing david's not the one that's pure and merciful and blameless god is and then also David's looking ahead again to Jesus, who is also merciful, blameless, and pure, um, and who has done all these things to save God's people on his behalf. And then in faith in what's to come in Jesus, now we are merciful uh, because a good tree bears good fruit, as Jesus himself teaches. And so in the faith, we actually do these things, not as works of ourselves, but once we have received the word of God and believe it, uh, we, we live that Christian life. And so it's kind of a complicated thing, and I don't know if I'm being clear enough, but that's, that's kind of the way we talk about it. No, I think, I think, that, was, uh, I think that was very clear. And uh, we just can't mix things up. Uh, we can't. We can't see. We can't see God being merciful to us because we are merciful. God is by nature merciful, and He saves us. This is this little snippet here makes that very very clear. And then He's the one who declares us perfect, and in return we respond in faith. And this faith, uh, people can see it. And you can't help but, as you read this, to also think about the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount where he says, uh, you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And in a way, these words of David uh, are reflective of what Jesus is going to say himself later. I think that's an excellent uh, analogy. Um, Third, uh, verse 31, this God, his way is perfect. Vicar, why would David emphasize this God? What's the big deal? Well, this God is the one God, even though other people at the time uh, worshipped idols, worshipped other things as God, and worshipped plenty of false God. Uh, he's proclaiming the one true God. Proclaiming the one. Yeah, there you go. Way before our radio broadcast. Okay. Um, the word of the Lord proves true. Why is that so important for us to remember, Pastor? Well, um, 
multiple reasons. Um, number one, the Word uh, is itself Jesus Christ. He's the Word who became flesh and dwelt on earth, took our sins upon himself. Uh, secondly, the Word is also attached to the Holy Spirit, and it creates and sustains faith. And so God's Word is true. It is the thing that brings us faith. It is the thing that um, governs our lives and helps us as we deal with the people around us uh, and, uh, and allows us to act shrewdly as King David did throughout his life, uh, but yet still remain in the faith also as King David did through his life. And earlier when he says, uh, for you are my lamp, you know, we're reminded of Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So that importance of the word is there. Pastor, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Is this telling Christians that they can do superhuman feats and God will protect them? Or is there a different message that we should uh, glean here? Well, um, you know, in a way it is in the sense that in faith in God, God can accomplish the things that God desires to have happen. And so in David's case, running against a troop or leaping over a wall is what God desired to happen. And in faith in Christ, uh, David's able to accomplish these things for God's glory. And yet, at the same time, it's not as if we're doing it for our own glory, like the, um, the, the Roman soldier uh, under Titus, who was the first to stand on the wall of Jerusalem, uh, received a, an earthly reward uh, and was praised by, by Titus. It's not that sort of thing where it's a worldly gain. It's, it's faith that's behind all of this. All right. And uh, to me, when I see those things, it also tells me that God will provide courage for me in difficult, impossible, insurmountable kind of things, because with God, nothing is impossible. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One, ninth Sunday after Trinity. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska Forward I pray before me My thoughts uncount and fly If Christ my hand and master Be friend me from above What From God Can Nothing Move Me. That's been our bumper music for today. Uh, great, great hymn to teach us the strength, the confidence, the forgiveness, life, and salvation that God has for us in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our first two segments, we looked at the gospel reading for the ninth Sunday after Trinity, Luke 16. We had the longer verses, 1 through 13. That is the parable of the unjust or unfaithful steward. In our Old Testament reading, we looked at 2 Samuel 22 and a little bit of a snippet from David's great song of deliverance. And now today in our epistle reading, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 13. And, you know, this for some people, this is a very, very difficult and challenging text as well. Vicar, uh, take it away, would you please? 
Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, these, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of, the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Okay, I am shocked and amazed how many Christians, how many nominal Christians, how many people who drove by a Christian church one time in their life are able to quote those last verses that Vicar just read with regard to um, uh, no temptation, has overtaken you, um, God will never tempt you beyond your ability, and uh, he will always provide a way of escape. These words are pretty common and fairly well known. I think they're, they've been kind of reduced into a Christian bookstore art kind of a cliché. And what we want to do is we want to take seriously the first half of this text— and maybe even take a look at the first five verses in 1 Corinthians 10, and then give this uh, would-be cliche a little bit of a context. Because, folks, it may not be saying exactly what you think it is saying. So, Pastor, we have this bracket here with these things in verse 6, and then these things in verse 11. Before we look to those specific examples that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 10, what is happening earlier in these first five verses of 1 Corinthians 10? What is the context that Paul is referring to here? Well, the context is the, um, the wandering in the wilderness by the children of Israel after the crossing of the Red Sea and before their entry into the Promised Land under uh, Joshua's leadership. And all the events that kind of take place, there's the positive ones, like the first few verses talk about where uh, the children of Israel are under the cloud and they pass through the sea and are baptized into the cloud and the sea and they ate the spiritual food, the, uh, the bread uh, from heaven and the quail. And they drank the spiritual drink, the water that flowed from the rock. And Paul even says, the rock is Christ, in case you missed it. And by the way, all the rest of this stuff really is Christ as well. Um, we could say 
the pillar of cloud uh, and the pillar of fire that led them is Christ. We could say uh, the the bread from heaven uh, is Christ. We could yeah. say all these things. Jesus says that one too. Right. Yeah. So Christ is there with them, and all those things are really good and positive. And this is then in contrast also then to the way that the people behaved uh, outside of that. And and we always say, you know, how could you walk through the Red Sea and then uh, start worshiping a built idol at the foot of uh, uh, Mount Sinai? How could you have seen the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and then... Uh, you know, complained about the food or the snakes and all these things. And yet the people did. And the reality that Paul's trying to get across here is they were just like us. <laughs> we go to church. We eat the spiritual bread. We uh, are washed in the water of Christ. We uh, drink his body and blood. Um, and yet what do we do when we go out into the real world? We sin the very same way that those children of Israel did during their wanderings in the wilderness. And so we're not really any different than them. And I think that's always a great thing. We always, if you're, we always think if you're in the Bible, then you're holier than we are. And that's exactly the opposite of what the scriptures actually teach. The only person in the Bible holier than we are is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, in this uh, section here, uh, verses 6 through 10, uh, Paul gives three specific examples of how the children of Israel were naughty and uh, disobeyed God. Um, we must uh, we must not in indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and twenty three thousand fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Pastor, are these three historical accounts that we can point to in Scripture, or are these things that we know nothing about? No, uh, they're, well, the way you asked is very uh, odd, right? We probably don't know anything about them, but they are in the Bible, and they are yeah. they are true Scripture. And so uh, we ought to maybe go back and study Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where these things take place. So the first one is probably the one that people know the best, and that's Moses is up on the mountain, and he's delayed. And so the people fashion a, uh, a golden calf, and they worship that, and it quotes it exactly, um, Exodus 32, verse 6. The people rose up early the next morning and offered a burnt offering and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It's almost like a Bacchanal uh, sort of celebration from the ancient world. Uh, the next ones, I think, are from uh, Numbers. Uh, I want to say Numbers 10 off the top of my head, but um, uh, lots of these scripture passages that are... <laughs> you, you were talking, but the mic was far away, so sorry yeah, about well, that. I'm trying to make sure I'm getting the right references here. So we have Numbers 25 and we have Numbers 21, uh, other places like that where these people, having been in the very presence of God and seeing all these great miracles and wandering in the wilderness, being fed from heaven and all this stuff, they're still sinful people and they still doubt and they still do dumb things. Okay. Now these things happened to them, talking about the, the punishments that they received. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So what Paul here is saying is these things really happened. Yep. And the, God's judgment was pronounced on them uh, 
really in real life and in real time. But the reason why this is recorded in Scripture is for us today, for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And now we get into these more familiar verses. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he uh, stands take heed lest his fa- lest he fall. To me, that is a classic warning to anybody who says, once saved, always saved. Or who trusts in themselves uh, to get into heaven. Yes, wants to stand before God on his own merit and wrapped in his own wedding garment. Don't you have bigger fish to fry, God? Yeah, there you go. And then verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. When, when Paul writes these words, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, is Paul talking about the temptation that every other human being goes through? Or is he talking about the temptation that Christ endured for us on our behalf? Yes. Okay. It's both. It is a both and. Don't think that God has somehow caused extra temptation to come into your life because people are undergoing temptation all the time. And remember that Jesus was tempted in every way, shape, and form that you are, and yet he did not sin. He did not fall. He did not... uh, uh, rise and up and play yeah, like they did in the wilderness. Certainly did not rise up and play. Okay. Uh, no temptation. Uh, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be enabled to endure it. Pastor, this has become a cliche uh, for crocheted artwork in the home of Christians. Um, almost almost like a good luck charm or a false sense of security. Why is that dangerous, and what are these words actually teaching us? Even a sense of hopelessness, right, when bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happens, and and some people say, but God says, you know, uh, he'll give me a way out of it. How come I don't see a way out of it? Where's that out, right? The the solution, the answer, the way out is Christ. Um, And... uh, it, it may mean that you're going to uh, have all everything killed, right, and destroyed and taken away from you, but Christ will always be there, and he'll be the, the way that you get out of this world. In fact, uh, he goes to prepare a place for us, and if he goes to prepare that place, he will sure, certainly come back uh, and take us that where he is, we may be also. That's his own words. And so there is all sorts of temptation and difficulty and evil in this world, and you will deal with it, and you'll face it, uh, and yet you have been given a way out, and that's the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So God is not promising that there will be a, an earthly way out of every earthly predicament in these in this text. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, I've been thinking lately a lot about the fall of Constantinople in 1453. I think that's on everybody's mind yeah, right now. I th- <laughs> You Um, nerd. (laughs) 80,000 Ottoman Turks surrounded the city, and uh, 7,000 Christians thought that they could hold it and fight against them, but they were unable to. Uh, They did get rescued in the sense that they died, and they went to be with Christ uh, in his kingdom. And that is the point. The ultimate escape, the ultimate rescue is forgiveness, life, and salvation, the resurrection of the body on the last day. Not some cliche promise that all your problems are going to melt away. Um, Vicar, 
Would you uh, do us the honor for one last time and pray the collect of the day, this time for the ninth Sunday after Trinity? Certainly. Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions. Make them to ask such things as shall please you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. When you get up on Sunday morning, read your paper, drink your coffee. I suppose you even have to check out the box scores now that a few sports are going. Please pray for your pastors, but most of all, just go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.